I have literally had another VC laugh in my face for only writing $5,000 checks. And like, I didn't say anything at the time. I just moved on. Um, but I want everyone else to know it doesn't matter what amount of money you invest. Okay. 1000 is fine. 2,500 is fine. 5,000, 10, 25, hundred thousand, whatever you have to deploy is the right amount. Welcome back to the Vitalize podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing here at Vitalize, and today we have Gail Wilkinson joining us on the show. Gail's the founder and managing partner here at Vitalize Venture Capital, but today we're going through the angel investing side of her career, talking about her first angel investment, how she got started in the first place, how we get more women investing into startups and why this is an issue in the first place, how Gail decides on investing herself personally as an angel versus investing out of the fund, and much, much more. You can find the show notes for this episode at thevitalizedpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the show, you can support us by going to ratethispodcast.com slash vitalize. That's ratethispodcast.com slash vitalize. There you can leave a rating and review for the show. Without further ado, here is Gail Wilkinson, founder and managing partner of Vitalize Venture Capital. Gail, welcome to the show. Hello, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yes, we've chatted, of course, so many times uh, in the last year here, and we've I've interviewed you for my show on Just Go Grind uh, about your journey. But now we're focusing on the angel investing side, Gail, which I don't know the full story of all your angel investing, so I think it'll be fun to dive into it. And I think the pl best place to start is just how did you get started angel investing in the first place, Gail? Yeah, so in 2012, I graduated from business school at Chicago Booth and happened to land into a role where I started Irish Angels. So Irish Angels is now one of the largest angel groups in the country. It's been around for nine years. We, in, in that, at that firm, we invested in companies affiliated with Notre Dame or that had other VCs leading the round. So I was there, I led investments into 65 or so companies and invested about 50 million in terms of capital. So I did a lot of deals that way. And personally, Actually, Justin, I didn't have enough money to do my own angel investing <laughs> until um, four years after I started Irish Angels. So in 2016 is when I did my first personal check. How did that turn out though, Gail, that first check? So that that is my only failure so far. So my first um, check, it shut down, the company shut down after um, about three years. So they didn't make it. They didn't figure out product market fit. And the, the founder was fabulous. I would invest in this founder again. Uh, but it wasn't the right business model. And so that was a big zero. Okay, with that, I gotta go back to this. So even getting started angel investing, a lot of people are hesitant. And it seems like from our research last year or so, a lot of women specifically are hesitant to angel invest. I'd love to dive into like, what got you over the barrier to start angel investing in the first place? And you know, what do you think holds, you know, women back specifically in terms of getting into this asset class. One of the things that I've really tried to figure out in my career for the last nine years is how do I get more women or people with underrepresented backgrounds access to angel investing? And I, I tried to dive in and understand the psychology behind, especially uh, for women, when you compare them to men, there's a lot of differences. And I think part of this is nature and part of this is nurture. I think in, inherently in women's makeup, oftentimes they are community oriented. They want to keep money in a stockpile and save it for you know a friend that needs help, their mother, their sister, their brother, their cousin. Um, and they would rather have that be in a very safe asset versus I think the psychology for men is very different, where if they have a pile of money, they want that pile of money to grow and they're willing to risk that money um, <laughs> to, to go and invest it. And so I think I was really lucky because I 
was running an angel investment group. I saw a lot of deals. I started to gain pattern recognition and muscles around how to identify strong opportunities um, for women who have never done this before. Oftentimes they, they hear about investing and they say, I don't, I'm not smart enough to do that. I don't know enough to do that. And that can be a very difficult hurdle for, for people who don't have that experience to overcome, especially for, for women who have the psychology of, I need to save things for my community um, versus seeing investing as an opportunity to build um, even more wealth to share with the community. And so it's, it's for, for me, what I learned personally is that it took me a lot of reps and it took me time to save money after <laughs> I paid off my business school loans or some of them by that time. And so like it's giving women the opportunity to get these at-bats and just to learn, to sit in a room and hear from founders, hear pitch after pitch after pitch, and then be able to write really small checks to start to build that muscle of investing so that they feel more confident that they really know what they're doing. Back when you started though, so in 2016 then, did your first investment, got over the hump, you like did the first investment. What were you looking for at that time where you then made that first one? You're like, okay, this is the person I'm going to commit this first check to because you hadn't done one before that. Like, what were you looking for at the time? Yeah. So I knew this founder for a number of years. Um, she was actually at Booth around a similar time as me. And so I got to know her very well, really sharp in terms of operations, which is one of the things that I look for in founders personally. Do they know how to execute? And she definitely does. Um, and so for, for me at the time, she had early traction. She's a great operator. Um, she had other great angels and VCs invested in her. And, you know, I decided like, this is, this is somebody that I wanted to put my money on. With the operator side of things, I know we look at you know, a lot of deals now at Vitalize Angels. We have all these people in our community looking at these deals. They ask us a bunch of questions around like, where do I begin? How do I start evaluating these, these companies? For you, you mentioned the operator experience side of things. Is it that they've just worked in different companies and operating roles? They've founded their own companies. They're at big or small, like anything in there that you were looking for or things that you, you liked at that time and you look for in the operating side of things? I love when founders have some kind of entrepreneurial experience before. So maybe it's a previous company. Maybe it's an initiative that they they started, they managed, they grew that. Um, it's, it's really that experience of starting something from scratch without big company resources. Um, there are founders who come from big company that realize that there's not a lot of assistance and help to do a lot, a lot of things at the <laughs> startup stage that are going to fail. And then there's founders that come from big company and they totally knock it out of the park. Um, so I, I can, I don't necessarily look at as much at where they've been. It's helpful if they've done it. However, I ask a lot of questions around how they think, what is that founder going to do to build sales? How do they think about sales process? Because initially it's all founder-led sales. It's the founder selling to their customers. So what process do they go through? How do they talk about it? How are they going to think about their first sales hire? And who, who is that position? And where are they going to find that person? And when does that person come on? And it's these details that, that I, I listen for in the answer because the best founders have talked to a ton of other founders and they've talked to a ton of customers and they're able to say, look, here's what I think based on everything that I know, here's what I'm still trying to figure out. And here's how I'm going to figure that out. And it's that specificity of response that gives me insight into the fact that they're able to go out, find the information that they need, synthesize the data that they retrieve, and then make a really great decision as they move forward quickly. One thing I'm curious about is with angel investing side of things, now we're going to have a lot of other VCs coming up on the show, which thankfully a lot said yes and agreed to come on the Vitalize podcast. But with this, they have their fund, they have angel investing, some are doing both, some are not doing both. We have the Vitalize fund, obviously, and then you have your own personal kind of angel investing. How do you 
delineate between the two, decide what you're looking for on your side versus the fun side. How does that go for you, Gail? Yeah. And, and this is, this is a really interesting question because some funds, all, all funds are governed by what's called the limited partnership agreement. This is the legal document, which dictates how the fund operates. Um, so sometimes the LPA, this limited partnership agreement will say that, um, the managers of that fund are not able to invest in anything else. So it's really determined by that. Ours is, is not exclusive. So, you know, what I need to remember is that if I do make any of these investments and there's some kind of conflict, let's say I invest in a competitor or I invest in um, a company that eventually comes through the Vitalize fund pipeline, I have to disclose that to our, um, to what's called the LPEC. This is a, a committee of limited partners. This is a governing board. It's a body that, um, that allows us as GPs to ensure that we are thinking through things like conflicts. Um, the last thing that, that I want to do as a fiduciary to my limited partners is invest in something that, that would, you know, detract from the good work that we're doing at Vitalize. So I, I see my angel investing personally as these companies need to be completely unaffiliated with what we invest in out of the fund. Or if, if I can get, um, you know, like what, there have been a couple of times where we've looked at deals and uh, the founder closed them out, but they said, hey, I want you to do a small check personally. And I, I will sometimes do that because um, I want to get to know the founder. And that can benefit the fund down the road if I can actually bring that founder back so that our LPs can then get a piece of the next round. It can be a huge benefit, but it can also be a problem. And that's where the conflicts and, and just being completely transparent and disclosing everything is really, really important. Yeah, it's interesting to see that those differences and having just talked to Leo from the Sousa Ventures and his angel investing, like 70 investments as an angel versus the fund, which has done a lot of things at Sousa Ventures and what he looks for and the differences between those two and how even like some, some companies, like you kind of said, they you see them early and maybe you get in as an angel or maybe you just kind of keep in touch with them anyways. And then they later a fit for the fund you know, a year and a half, two years later, or even thinking, you know, taking a step back and thinking longer term, their next company, whatever it may be, yeah. like there's still that, that future thing. And this is a long-term game and venture. So there is still that, you know, side Absolutely. of things. One other thing too, I'm curious with their angel investing, has it always been like, at what stages are you looking as an angel investor? Like pre-seed, seed, uh, later stage, like where have you invested seed? Uh, yeah. Stage-wise, I'm curious. 70 to 80% is seed stage. So these were two to $5 million rounds. Um, and then before, like, let's say 2017 to 2019, they were even smaller than that. <laughs> and then uh, the remaining, you know, 20% or so, 30% is mostly going to be even earlier than that at pre-seed. And then I have one or two Series A deals. What are you looking for from a portfolio perspective as an angel? How many companies you're trying to have? How many investments you're trying to make per year? Like, how do you think through that thing for you know people getting into this asset class, trying to figure out okay, I'm going to allocate some percentage to venture investing? How do you think about that yourself, Gail? Well, I don't do this right, so um, I'm going to tell you <laughs> what the real answer is, and I'll tell you what the real answer is. Um, Love it. So. Um, Asset managers will tell you, these are private wealth managers, people should not invest more than 10% into these alternative asset classes. So figuring out what 10% of your capital to deploy is, is what can go into this. Now, 
lately, the alternative markets and ventures, a big one, have performed very well. And so I'm guessing that that 10% has crept up as portfolios have done well. So maybe it's 10 to 20% of investable capital can go into this asset class per year. Um, the other thing to remember is you want, you know, at a minimum 15 deals over three to five years. And ideally you get to 25 plus. So my, my goal has been, you know, investing somewhere between 10 and $25,000 a year into at least three companies a year. I've trended more like five to 10 over the last couple of years. I've written about just shy of 30 checks right now and into about 25, 26 companies total. And, and so I've reached that point between 2017 and 2021, so it took me four years to get to that point where I've got the 25 companies. That's about um, what you want to see in terms of timeline. Um, obviously, I accelerated in the last few years. And so if, you, if the listeners out there have enough capital, I would say the best strategy that, that I have seen is to do three, three to five deals a year. Um, and then you just split up your investable capital across those three to five companies. Okay, the Gail answer. Diving deeper into the psychology behind that. Why? Why are you investing oh, yeah. more yourself? Oh, that's, that was the real answer. Justin. The Gail answer is that I put way too much money into this asset class, <laughs> but I love it, and I've been really lucky in the sense that I don't have to spend a lot of money to live, and you know, I, I take a lot of my capital that doesn't go to living expenses. And obviously I have a little bit of savings in case some disaster happens. But beyond that, you know, most of it goes in this asset class because I, I am once again, very lucky to have access to amazing companies. And, you know, I, I believe that this is a long-term game. These things can take 10 to 12 years. So I'm thinking about the companies that I invest in today, you know, I'm trying to build wealth that comes back and that 10 to 12 year period, and then it's reinvesting. And by, by going big into this asset class, my hope is that, you know, I generate enough wealth to then continue doing even bigger things within the venture capital ecosystem. Yeah. And there's something to be said for having that competitive advantage of obviously you've been in VC, you've been in startups for like since 2012 with Irish angels before. And so you have that seen so many things like, where is your advantage in terms of wealth creation? It's like, Probably in startup investing over the average person, let's yeah. just say. So it's like, you know, Absolutely. something to be said for doubling down on your skills too, your strengths. It can either be really smart or really dumb. <laughs> and I hope it's the former, Justin. Fingers we'll crossed see. for you, Gail. Fingers I'm crossed. Also hoping, right, <laughs> hoping for that as well. I think it's interesting to see though, like with the time we live in now, we're interviewing, this is 2021. People investing like 80% or 100% in like, crypto punks and like, and like a JPEG basically like in NFTs, like it's a crazy world, even crypto and like Bitcoin and Ethereum, like there's some different options for investing. So we're seeing in the full spectrum of people doing some very interesting, questionable things that we'll see how it pays off. But uh, startup investing just happens to be the thing that we're interested in. And so here we are on that side of things. And exactly. Take me through that progression though, from you mentioned like 2016 is your first investment. You've ramped things up recently. But that progression, like how many deals you did, maybe 2016, 2017, 18, coming to like now, 2021. Um, so I personally invest somewhere between five, 5,000 is probably the most common check size. I've done as little as a thousand um, into some vitalized angels deals recently. And then my largest check today is $25,000 investment. I will share this on size of check. I have literally had another VC laugh in my face for only writing $5,000 checks. And like, I didn't say anything at the time. I just moved on. Mm -hmm. um, but I want everyone else to know, it doesn't matter. 
what amount of money you invest, okay? 1,000 is fine, 2,500 is fine, 5,000, 10, 25, 100,000, whatever you have to deploy is the right amount. Now, you might not be able to get into all the deals that you want, and that's where communities like Vitalize Angels is really interesting. Or there's a lot of angel syndicates that allow one or 2,000 as a minimum. Like, there are ways to deploy small amounts, and especially for people who are just learning, I'm a huge advocate of going those small amounts. So, Okay, so I do the the you know one to twenty five k checks into these companies. Um, I did one in twenty sixteen, one in twenty seventeen. I wrote two in twenty eighteen, and then a couple in twenty nineteen, and then about six or seven in twenty twenty. And so obviously, you know, ten ten plus have happened in the last year or so. Um, and so it's a lot of that is just you know I left Booth with a very high number of. Uh, <laughs> of uh, zeros behind my student debt. So yes. I had to pay that off. And uh, that finally was paid off, I don't know, I guess late 2020, which obviously is why I have had more money in the last year. <laughs> oh, no, no student loans. Yeah, that would be great one day. I can't wait till, yeah, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, whenever I know. that happens. Uh, I just talked about on Twitter. It happens. I talked about doing NFT on Twitter for student loans, trying to figure that out, do like a rev share or something and just pay those <laughs> off. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out in the end. And, and the angel investing side, though, with, with what you're doing, and you mentioned some of the investments and kind of talked a little bit about them, but with the industries and different focuses, people have different advantages in terms of their background. Like they might know way more about an industry, so they want to get into that as investing, or like they know they want to look for data-driven companies, software companies, whatever, or they have a consumer side of it. How did you look through that and think about the process of where you want to invest in terms of industry or types of companies, like tell me through more of that side of things too, go. I love this question. And remember, this is completely different than how I invest in the fund. Yeah. The fund, we have limited partners, we have a charter, we have a focus that we're very regimented. And so when I think about my angel investments, like the number one thing I look for is like, I really love the team and I love the space. I'm excited about what they're doing. So like one of my first checks that I wrote was into the mom project. And this was an Irish angels deal in 2018. And I loved the management team, Allison and Greg are fabulous. And you just talk to them and you, you get energized by what you're doing. You want to be a part of their movement. And I loved what they were doing with getting women back into the workplace, obviously as a woman in finance and, you know, there are not that many of us still in venture capital. I personally am drawn to these solutions that either have diversity in the founding teams or that impact and increase the diversity within, you know, the, the overall working world. And this was a perfect fit for me personally. So I, I, I actually invested twice into that company through, through the Irish angels program. Another one that's like just really fun is um, it's called thousand fell. So this is a shoe company. And like another thing that I personally care about, which has nothing to do with our fund is um, it's sustainability. So this is a shoe company that is almost completely recyclable. And as you guys know, like we go through tons of shoes. Like I'm a little old. I have some feet problems, Justin. <laughs> so I have to wear sneakers all the time. You're not old. So I love a sneaker company that thinks about sustainability and they have a built-in recurring, you know, subscription model and the shoes are awesome. So like, this is a great way for me to back a company like that. That's not a fit for the Vitalize Fund, for example. Um, and that was also done through the Irish Angels platform. I can talk about, you know, a couple of the Vitalize Angels deals. These are more yeah. recent um, companies. One is called Balloon. And uh, I personally hate meetings because like my entire day sometimes can be meetings, right? And I yep. think it's the number one way that we can save time and give people back some work-life balance. 
Well, balloon is a way to not just reduce bias and groupthink, but to eliminate the need for 70% of the time that we spend in meetings. Um, this is a really early company. It's a great fit for Vitalize Angels. And, you know, I'm writing $5,000 check into it. Love the founding team. It's something that I'm personally passionate about. Like that's the theme behind all this stuff. And then there's another theme of, I think, I think the last time I looked at my numbers, 90 plus percent of my dollars have gone to teams that have at least one underrepresented founder. There's so many ways to go about it with, with angel investing and hearing stories of people all talk about their investments and some of them are just like friends they want to invest in, support them. They like the idea of their company, they'll invest in, like I said, other industry driven or thesis driven on that side of things as, as well. With the angel investing though, I think this is interesting to think about the time of this. So when we talked to Leo on, on our podcast, talked about like, you know, founders and operators who are getting into angel investing, you're seeing it more, especially because of AngelList and they have the access to people as well. What's the time commitment people can commitment people kind of, you know, kind of expect on angel investing or like how much it just take in a month or two months? Cause people are just getting started have like no idea really. I'm curious on that side of things, you know, how that goes in terms of time allocation to angel investing. What we would suggest to somebody who's just getting started, like let's say they wanted to join our Vitalize Angels program. Um, I would suggest that they spend somewhere between three and five hours a month and just read content. Um, look at the resources that we have to um, just to start to get familiar with the terminology, how it works, listen to the pitches. That's that's probably the best way to get up to speed. Um, our, our group will distribute what's called due diligence. So this is analysis on the companies that we're considering. And so whereas we've talked to maybe 200 companies in a month and we're giving our, um, our angel investors access to the three or four best ones, we'll give a little bit of due diligence and this, you know, in the, in the form of like a written notion page. So read through that, listen to the pitches from the founders, listen to how others ask questions and talk about it. And then we've got a, a Slack community where people can kind of go back and forth and talk about it. And this is, this is similar to, you know, any other angel group in the country offers this. So having that community, I think is really helpful for a new person, whether something like Irish angels is a great fit because they're Notre Dame grad or vitalized angels is, is a great fit or hashtag angels or uh, the angel squad. There's a ton of programs out there and everybody should, should really figure out what's the best fit for them. It's just, or sorry, three to five hours a month and consistency come every month, listen to stuff, start to pay attention. And then at yeah. some point you got to get the checkbook out and you got to write one and it's going to be scary, but you do it. And then you get to see some of their progress and you see more and then you get out your checkbook again and you write another one. And this is a long-term process. It's not going to happen overnight where you're like, oh, I know what I'm doing, but you get started and you just like strap on that seatbelt <laughs> and get ready for, you know, what will hopefully be a, a good ascent. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fingers <laughs> crossed again for that. What, with that though, so obviously people can see deals through like Vitalize Angels and like Angel Squad. There's all different things to see deals, but in terms of getting access too, it's a whole nother side of the story too, if you're, especially if you're not an angel group. But how do you think about that? It was like getting access to deals where like a company actually wants you to be on their cat tail. You might come across it, but not be able to invest necessarily. But what gives you accessibility in terms of like makes you value add people want them, want you on their, their cap table? Like any, any thoughts on that deal? I actually think there's two kinds of angel investing. So there's more active investing and then there's passive investing. And the cool thing about what's happening right now in the industry is there's way more opportunities to be a passive investor and write those smaller checks. So crowdfunding sites, angel list syndicates, um, some groups that, that 
invest through these single purpose LLCs. And they're basically aggregating a bunch of small checks into one. And in those cases, they want passive investors. And so you don't have to really worry about being value add at that stage. It's just more about where do you want to deploy your dollars? We at Vitalize Angels, we do help our companies by going to our angels and seeing who can make customer intros. Like that's a big, big way to help at the early stage. Um, but then there's more active angels. So maybe you write a 25 or 50 or 100K check in a really early round and you're one of the bigger investors. You might be seen as what's called a strategic angel because your experience is directly relevant to what they're doing. In those cases, you might be asked for guidance in your area of expertise. You might be asked to be on an advisory board. You might be asked to um, to make big partner customer intros because of your network. And so active angels can become really involved if it makes sense based on the situation. One of the last things I want to talk about, so it's in a similar vein to angel investing, but you also are an LP and a couple of funds as well. And I know people you know, thinking about getting into this asset class, as we kind of just mentioned, there's a lot of different ways to go about it in terms of how you start investing into startups. And being an LP is another way to go about that. Take me through how that's happened for you starting to be an LP into some funds. I'm a very small LP and three funds. <laughs> and I just did that uh, this year in the three. I love, I love all of these managers. And once again, it's, it's hundred percent underrepresented fund managers. Um, and I just, I feel like we have to look at this as a community based approach when we as a whole want to increase the number of dollars flowing to underrepresented founders. And there was a, a great article in TechCrunch recently about how, you know, for example, women GPs, these are women venture capitalists, invest up to three times as much into women founders. Like that's a big multiple. Yeah. That means we need underrepresented funders. It's one of the reasons why, Justin, we decided that Vitalize Angels is great because 70% of our check writers are underrepresented. We need that. We need more check writers. So I want to put my money where my mouth is, number one, and like back diverse G GPs with diverse background. But I also like, two of these funds are completely closed. Like I got an early and now they're oversubscribed. Like these are fabulous managers. Yeah. So like, I want to make money too with all else being equal. Like I'm always going to give my money to somebody that can't get as much access as another person, because it is the path to, uh, you know, to writing the ship on, on getting more dollars to underrepresented founders. Uh, with that, if you're willing to share the funds, if you don't, that's totally fine. I don't know what the regular. I can are. share. I can share one. One is public. One, one I think is going to be public soon, and the other one's private. So I can share one. One is um, it's Matt Conwell's River Aid Ventures. So he's I think he's completely oversubscribed at this point. Um, he's awesome, and I was I committed to him. I don't know, six or eight months ago, when he was still taking small checks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he was is targeting ten million. I don't know if he's changed that or that's evolved since, but that was at least what he had mentioned at that since yeah, I've seen yeah, it. Yeah. How did that come about? I met Mac on Twitter, I would say 14, 14 or 15 months ago, and I've become friends with them. I've talked to him a number of times. Actually, one of those angel deals that I mentioned, I sent to him and he invested in, worked with him on a number of things. So I really believe in him. I believe in, like, I mean, just follow him on Twitter. He's got a community. He, people love, people are drawn to him. You know, they love him. And I think he's going to get into fabulous deals. I will share this. I talked with what's called a limited partner today. This is an LP. And this LP told me, you know, they're looking to back managers that effectively fill out of big funds. You know, if you listen to to Mac on um, Harry Stubbing's podcast, 20 Minute VC, he talks yeah. about how chasing the hot deals doesn't make any sense because 
all these LPs think that those are the only deals that matter. And same thing happened to me today where this LP is like, look, I, you know, I, I hear someone's coming out of this big fund soon and I really want in, but it's hard to access that because literally all the LPs want that. Well, there's so much alpha to be found in people who tap different networks. The, the breadth and the diversity of network is like proven to establish a lot of the overall value that anybody contributes to their role. So we think about that, you know, the fact that some of these VCs, I would say, you know, our, our firm included, Justin, like we, we think a little bit differently. We have different backgrounds. We have different yeah. approaches like that. I'm not saying that's better or worse than the value that blue chip spinouts have. It's just different and it can be extremely valuable in, in and of itself. So I personally am long on that model. Um, if I had a lot of money, I would be, I would be backing emerging managers with diverse networks right now. Cause I think that venture is heading into a place where, uh, you know, founders, they want to work with GPs that they like. They want to work with angels that they like. Yeah. I see a ton of this. Like the, the industry is changing. It's a fascinating and a super exciting time to be, to be in it as an angel or as a VC. Okay. There's one last thing I want to ask about because you just kind of brought it up. You just mentioned Finding Mac, obviously, on yeah. Twitter. Yes, so Twitter. for people who aren't familiar, listening, some people maybe not on Twitter as much, which in some ways is great. Bless your soul. Um, it can be all consuming, <laughs> but you have found a lot of value. I know from Twitter, that's how we met is through Twitter. How have you approached that yourself? What have you seen as an investor using Twitter? I'm curious. My story on Twitter is like, I started really thinking about consistency of posts back in August of 2020. So for the last 14, 15 months, um, every, almost every day I've posted one or two things. And so, I, and, and it's important to comment on what other people are doing. So I would say I spend typically 20 to 30 minutes on it a day. And I use it as a way to, um, to one, just get news and see what other people would think. And also it's just kind of a way to zone out and waste five or 10 minutes in between meetings or whatever, because you need a break. <laughs> but the cool thing about Twitter is that, you know, it's, it's content that lives on. I had no idea in August when I had like 1600 followers at the time that I would get to today where I have almost 20,000. And I know like Mac has a similar story and there are a handful of other VCs that have done the same thing in the last year or so. The key really is consistency. It's positivity. It's helping others. You know, we offer office hours. We answer questions. We ask questions for other people. We make referrals. We, we try to just provide value. That's not just me, but that's that's you, Justin. That's Caroline on our team. Like our approach is really trying to give back to this community. And unfortunately, I'm at a point in my career where I just can't take all the one-on-one meetings anymore. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is a good place to be. But I love to help people. So Twitter is a way for me to do what you know Brad Feld calls one to many. Like that's one of his hacks. How do you help a bunch of people with limited amount of time? And I think Twitter is one of the best platforms for VCs. So I always tell all my VC friends, you know, you got to get on it. One of the things that's interesting too, with investors being on there as well, for people not in the industry who don't know about startup investing and they haven't done it yet, but they're curious, this is all new and foreign to them. So like even your like most basic things that maybe you know, like, of course, everyone knows that. Everyone doesn't know that. So like, especially on, on Twitter and these platforms, when you see that it's like, you have expertise that's so specific to this industry that, you know, we may see it all the time when you're in the industry. Like, of course, well, they talked about, I've heard about that months ago, but I know like from talking to my non VC friends or, you know, startup friends, it's like, they have no idea about a lot of this stuff. It's just not what they're 
they've been they've been in so starting to share that for people who are just getting started especially you know founders just getting started they don't know about some of the most basic things and that's just they can't help that they just haven't been in this before so it's like sharing those insights you have as an investor as an angel whatever you definitely have something to share for other people that can help them and that's what it kind of is all about just helping and sharing those insights you have and stories and you know communicating back and forth to, to grow that network to then get access to deals where this founder you helped two years ago then now you're investing in which is so crazy to me but that's what happens through the power of these platforms yeah i mean i met i met a guy on twitter eight or nine months ago um i talked to him about his company and then you know he actually ended up not moving forward with that company but he reached out to me and he's in sales and he was like hey i'm looking for a sales leadership role and like that's one of the hardest startup roles to fill and so i tweeted about him because like i had talked to him a couple times i think he's he's really um, a strong you know strong fit for that opportunity and had like 10 people reach out to me who wanted to talk to him. And these are all like legit firms, really great opportunities. And then he, he's also talking to one of our portfolio companies too. So like if he picks our portfolio company to go work out, like that's huge. Um, and that all happened because of Twitter. And that's just one of many, many, many stories. We'll leave it at that, Gail. What's the best place for people to contact you if they would like to? Direct message DM on Twitter at BC is probably the best. Perfect. Gail, thanks for coming back on the show. <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. I hope everybody becomes an angel investor if you can, even if it's a few thousand dollars a year. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And I wish everybody the best of luck on that. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc. Or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.